Amen, amen. So this evening is December 28th. It is 2011. This ball of dirt is hurling around the sun at a frightening pace. We're about to be 2012 years since Jesus had been born as a man. Turn with me to Exodus 20. Our message tonight is going to be called 6, I'm sorry, 5 through 9. 5 through 9. I hope some of you have been reading your Bible plans because tonight our message will center around yesterday's readings. But we need to start first in Exodus 20. In Exodus 20, what is the most famous thing about Exodus 20? Alright, so slowly, and help me because this is like writing with a paintbrush up here. Commandment number one is you shall have no other gods, right? What's commandment number two? We're not going to have any images. What's commandment number three? We're not going to misuse the name. Commandment number four? Sabbath. Commandment five? Mom and Dad. Then we go through a cascading series, starting in 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. In 6, we have do not murder. In 7, we have do not commit adultery. In 8, we have do not steal. In 9, we have do not And in 10, we have These are mitzvahs. These are commands. God gave them 613. It started with 10. The first four have to do with a man's relationship with the living God. The next six have to do with man's relationship with fellow man, which is a reflection of the way that we feel about God. Turn with me now to Mark. We're going to be in the 10th chapter of Mark. Our message tonight is 6 through 9. But we are right now in the 10th chapter of Mark. Let us start in the 13th verse. Provided I can get to Mark. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have Him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. That means very, very angry. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Uh, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. There is a manner in which we are to receive the kingdom. When we say kingdom, we need to not think of Burger Kingdom. When we say kingdom, we need to not think of Carpet Kingdom or some commercial we've seen on TV. This has to do with the king's dominion, the king's rule. When I say, Gabriel, I want you to do something, how much say does Gabriel have in what dad tells him to do? None. Why? Because God put me in authority over him. It's already presumed that I'm asking something that is in his best interest, short term or long term, makes no difference. He is my son. 
I care for him. Of course, I will not hurt him for no reason. But whatever I tell him to do is not up for debate. It is not optional. In my house, I do not explain myself to my children at their request. I explain myself to them when I feel it is necessary to further teach them. If you will not receive the kingdom like a child, you cannot receive the kingdom. Understand what this means then. Father God is the parent. He does not owe us an explanation for what He tells us to do. It is assumed from the very beginning that He only asks of us what is in our best interest, whether short term or long term. And Daddy knows best. So many things have been preached about this verse. We've talked about the innocence of children. We've talked about the childlike faith of children. All of those things. And we've ignored Jesus' own words. He says you cannot receive the kingdom unless you receive the kingdom like these children do. In other words, without question. Loving acceptance because daddy knows best. Is it a foregone conclusion then, or should it be a foregone conclusion, that all obedience of all Christians should be 100% without question to the voice of our Father? With that out of the way, we will give you the benefit of the doubt. We'll give myself the same benefit of the doubt. If there is something that we are not doing right... If there is something that we are not doing that we should be doing, if we are doing something that we shouldn't be doing, and we know 100% of our obedience belongs to the Father because we can't be in the kingdom unless we are like a child and He is the Daddy, then it must be that we don't know we're doing it wrong. Or we don't know that we should be doing something. Or we don't know that we shouldn't be doing something. And that brings us to the place where if somebody pointed it out, you would be grateful. Because all you ever wanted to do was be obedient to daddy and you didn't realize you weren't being. And somebody is saving your life by telling you. Can you say amen to that church? Amen. Am I lying about what the scripture says? Have I contorted it in some unhealthy way? No. If we go to the Greek or the Hebrew and conjugate the verbs, will we come up with something different than what I've said? then all of us owe our obedience to the king in the same way that a child without question should follow their parents. Yeah? As we move into maturity, does a child have the ability to reason more? Of course. Does a child have the ability to judge things right and wrong for himself? Of course. The only way to grow into maturity in the kingdom is through constant use of the word of God. The book of Hebrews says this. This teaches us what God wants us to do so that we are never ignorant of it. And we do not need someone to come say, you should be doing this and you're not. You shouldn't be doing this and you are. And you must not know. Let's move on in the text. We will come to something that I think is pretty neat along the lines of 6 through 9. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. And fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In this ministry, we meet so many people like this. We are kind of the mistress. We are the ministry that people would like to date, but not really marry. And the reason for that is we are fun for a while. Exciting. Something that they've not necessarily seen. 
But in the end, they don't want to take us home and show their parents. And the reason that they don't is we do not fall into traditional molds here. We are not the kind of church that you can be comfortable with every guest that comes in, that they will leave happy, warm, and well-fed. They may actually leave angry, clenched-fisted, and refuse to ever come back. Because there is a confrontation that happens. We have a confrontation between what the children are doing and what the Father has demanded. And we understand that you cannot enter the kingdom unless you do it with the obedient nature, the trusting nature, the unquestioning nature of a child. With that in mind, we see people run to our ministry. They usually say something like, Oh man, I am so glad we found this place. I never knew it was right around the corner and all the time we were just trying... We will be with you forever. This guy has said to Jesus, he's run up to him. That shows enthusiasm, doesn't it? Yeah. Is that to be disregarded? Should we throw out enthusiasm? Yeah. He's run up to Jesus with enthusiasm and what else? A compliment. Good teacher, right? How does Jesus respond to this? As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? We have enthusiasm. We have the will to act, to run to Jesus. We have a glowing compliment. This is the finest ministry I've ever seen. We even have the right question. What is central to life? What is the one thing that this guy does not want to leave the earth without? Eternal life. So we have zeal. We have a complimentary attitude. We have the right question in the man's heart. Everybody say, that would make a great Christian. That would make a great Christian. Wouldn't you think so? You don't have to sit down with the four spiritual laws and convince him. You don't have to sit there and beg him and offer him gift certificates. He ran to you. He's not attacking you. He's not saying you remind me of a cult leader. He's not saying what kind of church would meet in a store. He's not picking on your music, your instruments, your doctrine, the translation, whether your clothes, the carpet in your church. In fact, he's got nothing but compliments for you. And the right question. We all could use some more like that, right? How does Jesus respond to him? Why do you call me good? This is the central heart of the issue. Why do you call me good? Is Jesus good? Can we answer that question? Is Jesus good? Yes. We can start with the process of elimination and say we know he's not bad. <laughs> so where does that leave us? But the question is not whether or not Jesus is good. The question is why do you call me good? This goes to the fundamental understanding of why did the guy get up and run to Jesus. And here's what I'd like to tell you. It relates to our day. Are we all pretty good old boys just trying to do what's right? I mean, isn't everybody basically a good person? Why do you call me good? See, God alone is good. Is this an affirmation of deity? Are you saying that you recognize that I'm God? Or is your view that we're basically all pretty good people? Because if you're all pretty good people, then nobody here needs Jesus. If you were saved when you were born, and of course you didn't live like it for 30 years, but now all of a sudden that you've run up to Jesus and found Him in a little storefront church, all of a sudden you're excited and, oh, good teacher, what must I do? He jumps right in your face and says, 
Why are you calling me good? Is that because you view yourself as pretty good? All people as pretty good? The gospel begins with the revelation that you are a monstrous sinner. Incapable of doing anything right. Personally, I have become so leery of testimony that starts in any other place, you can usually see me visibly become disinterested. Hey man, when did you fall in love with Jesus? Well, when I was eight, I got baptized. Then what we're going to hear is 35 minutes of how you live like hell, but now that you're in our church, you're excited. What does that say? Jesus would look at you and say, why do you call me good? I want to know what kind of judgment goes into that statement. Why do you call me good? Is it because your mom's pretty good? Your dad's pretty good? Your neighbors are pretty good? Let's, let's roll it around. Who's not good? Well, we can start with Hitler. Now where are we going? Who's not good? This is how we have turned Christianity on its ear. And the religious spirit has always been doing this to where we assume that everybody is pretty much okay. But what does the gospel teach us? Matthew 24 says the love of most will grow cold. What is most if you have 100 people? What is most? It's more than 51. Isn't it? So if the gospel is true, when you look at 100 believers, what does that tell you? 51 of them got strong potential to not do well. If the gospel tells us there are four soils upon which seed can fall, and only one of them never grew, the other three had some level of growth, but two of those that of the three that grew fell away, what does that tell us? You know, you see this in a ministry regularly. You see it all of the time. And the way that you see it is, Matthew, man, I love your teaching. It's amazing. I don't know how I ever did without this. And when your wife sings or cooks or whatever, oh, my goodness. Look, I'm going to go tell everybody I know about this ministry. And about the time they come three months later, I will not be in it anymore. Why? Well, let's look at this man's behavior, and we're going to find out why. He runs up to Jesus with enthusiasm. Nothing but compliments for Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus does is bring an absolute collision in his way of thinking. See, when we compliment people, what do you want back? A compliment. When you love and accept people, what do you want back? But the gospel will not accept you without you changing and becoming obedient just like a child. It's a lie to say that you can stay a sinner and be received by the king. He will take a sinner, but he makes him a saint. He does that by teaching him to obey his voice. It is a lie that says repentance is not part of the gospel. The gospel has always gone out as repent is the first word in it. There must be a fundamental changing of who you are. You know, a child receives that easy. They really do. In fact, you could take a left-handed child in kindergarten and make him a right-handed child. They did it for years and years and years. I'm not suggesting that it be done, but I'm saying you can do that. Anybody in here left-handed? How long would it take us to make you right-handed, JJ? Harder, yeah. Change is harder. <laughs> much, much harder for adults. But the kingdom requires change like a child. It requires it. Now, my little girl will throw a fit if she wants to wear a red dress and I tell her she has to wear a pink one. She'll absolutely stick out her lip, she'll stomp off, she'll go pout, because she has a sinful nature. But when it comes down to it, she's going to do what Dad said to do. You know why? I'm Dad, and she knows it. 
She knows that she can only push that little boudet lip so far. And there is going to be a judgment at hand. So really the game that you're playing with your children most of the time is how far can I push this before it's judgment day? Is it really so different for us? If you believed you were going to die tomorrow, how would you have done today differently? Yeah? See, we play all kind of games because we're trying to figure out, is it judgment day yet? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. This is in response to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Y'all call out the commandments to me that he says. Do not murder. murder. What's the next one? Do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. What's the next one? Do not steal. What's the next one? Or defraud. False testimony and defraud are the same thing. What's the next one? What an interesting pattern we've just gone through. Before we get to that pattern, what does the man say? Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. You think he was telling the truth? Let's start there. Who thinks he's telling the truth? Raise your hand. Who thinks he's not telling the truth? Raise your hand. What, are some of you Swiss? You're neutral in this matter? Y'all, you got to get on one side or the other. I'm going to force you. Who thinks he's telling the truth? Raise your hand. Who says he's not telling the truth? Raise your hand. Come on now. Whether he's telling the truth or not, only God knows. See, you're all good here. But I know this. It's a strange thing for a Jew who had the law memorized all of his life to start with the sixth commandment, murder. Go to the seventh, adultery. Go to the eighth, steal. Go to the ninth, lie. Skip the tenth and go back to the fifth. Doesn't that strike you as odd that we go commandment six, commandment seven, commandment eight, commandment nine, let's not deal with the tenth. In fact, just for good measure, let's go back to the fifth commandment. Is that not a strange order? We could go to Deuteronomy 5. You will not find it written that way. We could go to Exodus 20 where we started. You do not find it written that way. In fact, what we see is honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. We find them in those orders like they're written on the board. But this is not what Jesus said. He started with sixth. He moved to the seventh. Then he moved to the eighth. Then he moved to the ninth, skipped the tenth, and went right back to the fifth. This is not strange numerology. How many of you have been to a doctor this year? Raise your hand if you've been to a doctor this year. If it's not indecent, if it's not an indecent thing, could somebody tell me what you went to the doctor for? Toothache. Strep throat. Had a cold. Toothache, strep throat, had a cold. Would something be wrong if all three of those people got the same prescription? Really should be. What? They don't all have the same malady. If you have the same prescription for every malady, you're selling snake oil, my friends. In fact, if I tell every person in here, you know what you really need? What you need is to give me $19.99, take this holy handkerchief and go snot on it in your house. You know? Or whatever it is that they do these days on that television station. That's snake oil. Jesus had a perfect prescription for people. When he talked to Nicodemus, what did he talk to Nicodemus about? 
being born again, when he talked in the next chapter to the woman at the well, what did he talk to her about? Living water. He didn't talk to Nicodemus about living water, and he didn't talk to the woman at the well about being born again. You know why? He knew what they needed. They had the same problem in that it was sin. That's everybody's problem. But they had different issues at hand, so they got a different prescription. People run into a ministry and they say, oh man, we love this place. We're with you. We are with you forever, which means until you do something I don't like. Have the right questions. Have an enthusiastic attitude. And I'm not skeptical of people when they come in. This is a normal thing. You all got here somehow. But it is a matter of time until Jesus details your prescription to get to the real problem. Teacher, I have kept all of these since I was a boy. Teacher, I've heard everything you've said. I'm good. What did Jesus respond to him with? Come on, you can read it out loud. What did he say? First, though, he said Jesus looked at him and loved him. Before we get back to this pattern, before we get to exactly what it is, do you believe that if the Scripture says Jesus loved him, that he did? Yes. Does the Scripture lie? No. Can the Scripture be changed? No. Can it be broken in some way? No. So then it is a loving thing to look at someone sometimes and tell them something they do not want to hear. Yeah. Do you believe that? Yes. Yes. Would you like some word on that? Yes. Judah, turn to Leviticus 19. You're going to read the 17th through 18th verse. Lindsay, you please turn to Proverbs 27, verse 5. Jacob, you please turn to Proverbs 28, verse 23. Matthew, you please turn to Matthew 18, verse 15. Galate, uh, Dustin, you turn to Galatians 2, verse 14. Cassidy, why don't you take 1 Timothy 5 and verse 20. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Stand up, Judah, and read it. Leviticus 19, uh, verses 17 through 18. Read it loud. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. But I love your neighbor as yourself. I Do not you. rebuke your neighbor frankly is to hate him in your heart. Why? Because you're thinking it anyway. You're harboring it. You might as well get it out there where it can be dealt with. Rebuke your neighbor frankly is verse 18. Verse 19 was love your neighbor. Rebuke and love are tied together from the beginning of the Torah right till the end. Who had the next passage? I had Proverbs 27 verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Does that agree with Leviticus 19? Say, yes, pastor, it does, or no, pastor, it doesn't. But don't sit there and say nothing. Yes, pastor, it does. Open rebuke better than hidden love. So Jesus looked at him and loved him. What should be coming next? A frank, open rebuke. Who had the next scripture? Proverbs 28, 23. He who rebukes a man will in, will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. God will favor a man who rebukes more than a man who flatters. Do you believe that there should be a bumper sticker on this subject? Do you think that the church could use a little pick-me-up advice in this column? 
Because it's fine for us to all tell each other how good we look. It's fine for us all to compliment how wonderful we are. But as soon as we love somebody enough to say, stop it. Yes. Well, pastor, that's grounds for leaving your church. I was told not long ago that somebody left the church because I told them if they would not work in children's church because they had a kid in, in, in the children's church, if you don't want to work in children's church, you should probably find yourself another place to worship. So they did. Where are you going to make it in the kingdom if once in eight weeks you can't watch your own kid along with the kids of the other people that have been watching yours for the previous seven weeks. How are you going to make it? I came into the ministry excited enough. Had nothing but compliments for me. On the way out, they sure were angry. Why is that? Do you think that they came with zeal until we stepped on their issue? God, who could it be talking about? I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. We all love, I love JJ until JJ tells me, hey, you're screwing that up. Stop it. Then all of a sudden, I don't like JJ today. I might even go tell Cassie, you know what JJ said? And then I said, and then he said. And if Cassie doesn't agree with what I do, I move on to Jennifer. Jennifer will agree with me. And if Jennifer doesn't agree, then I go get on the phone or I Facebook it. <laughs> Back in the day, what you did is you blind carbon copied everybody on an email they didn't know was being blind carbon copied. Mm. Come on, am I the only one that participated in office politics every now and then? Somebody just giving you a tongue lashing on the email, and you're like, oh, but I love you, blind carbon copy. <laughs> we all love everybody until our own issue gets stepped on. Come on now, who had Matthew 18, 15? That's me. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. You must not care about that brother very much if you won't go tell him. See, you win him over. Over from what? Sin. Death. The opposite of the kingdom. Darkness. The dominion of the wicked one. If you don't tell him, you must not care very much about him. Come on now, to love is to act. Love is an action. Who have the next word? Uh, Galatians 2.14. When I saw that they were acting in line with the... Not acting. When I saw that they were... When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it? Then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. Can you imagine many years after the resurrection, Peter, who some regard as the first pope, that's ridiculous, but they do, gets an open rebuke from Paul in front of menial Gentiles who have just come in the kingdom and don't know their left hand from the right hand, so to speak. But it was an act of love because what Peter was doing not only was wrong, it would lead others astray. What would be worse? To just have offended your brother? Or to let your brother lead others that he hoped to help into a ditch? 
Paul loved, he had the audacity to love Peter enough to hurt him. Come on, now, anybody in here ever seen a boil, Lance? Oh, my God, my little boy Gabe had boils all over him one time. Trembling. He'd pass out as, as you treated him. And he would tremble. And he'd look back at his mom screaming because she's the one working on him. And he would plead with her. And at the edge of consciousness, he'd look at me and say, Stop her, Dad. It's terrible. So how could you do that to him? He's my son. How could we not do it to him? You know what the alternative was? Sepsis. He'd die from the infection. See, sometimes love requires you to do something that temporarily hurts, but is meant to heal long term. And what happens is people run up to you with all the zeal in the world and say, oh, great teacher, what must I do? I mean, we just, we want to be a part here, man. We're really going to invest. The other church we came from, it blows. But this one is wonderful. My radar's going off at that point. You felt that way about the other people. There might be a reason why. Oh, but this is different. You guys are spirit-filled. Y'all got so much those guys didn't have. Blah, 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 blah. And about three months later, they're either not here or they're angry. How does that work? Ryan, have I said things to you that can make you angry? We will see. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Ryan said, we're with you. We love it. I said, we'll see. <laughs> so check this out. What I'm trying to say. In the end, has it been good for you? This is not an excuse to be rude to people. The point is... We're used to bouncing to wherever makes us feel good about ourselves. And what we need to be doing is looking for who has the prescription to cure what ails us. But let's just be honest. We said earlier you can only receive the kingdom if you're like a child, right? And we said we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt if you're not doing something right. It's because you don't know the right way to do it. If you're doing something that's wrong, it's because you don't know that it's wrong. Right? If you're not doing something you should be doing, it's because you don't know, because that's the only way we get in the kingdom. It's like a child. Didn't we just say that? So God has put other people in your life that do know what you do not know. Is that fair? Is that fair? Is it fair to say that if Renan and I are wrestling, it would be a bad day for me. But if Renan and I were wrestling, and I'm convinced my technique was perfect, maybe somebody with a third-party advantage might be able to see whether it is or is not. I know in every other kind of athletic training I was ever in, we watched the film. Because your perception of what you did in the heat of battle might actually be really different than the way it looked on film. My coach had one of those little dials. He rolled it forward and backward. Forward and back. He got to mock me at an unending rate, if I made a bad play, because he could he roll it backward and forward. Like, oh, Stevens, what was there? A patch of clover on the ground you wanted to roll in? Why on earth are you on the ground? You're supposed to be running the football. You don't know how this game works. Matthew got lots of praise. We need a third party in our lives. And if you haven't found somebody that loves you enough to tell you if they think something's off base, then you're missing out on life because that's what fellowship is. And I'm going to tell you very quickly, most, most 
who say they're Christians do not want this kind of relationship. They don't. I was with another pastor one time that looked right at me and said, that is not your role. Only the Lord can do that to me. Verbatim quote. His life hadn't gone so well. Only the Lord. I wonder how that works when he pastors people. What if they said that? That's not your role. Only the Lord can do that to me. Pretty soon there is no purpose for a church, is there? Or a fivefold ministry. Or your brother at all. In fact, you all pretty well just have your own personal, individual kind of deal with Jesus. And that's how American Christianity got right where it is. Do you remember the very first murder? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes, you are. You should love him enough to say, Cain, I don't see the rock in your hand yet, but I see it in your heart somewhere. Who stopped that? Who loved Cain enough to say that to him? God did. And if you want to imitate God, then we need to do that. This does not mean we're fault-finding, friends. What's wrong with being fault-finding? You're full of them. Look in the mirror. This means that we care enough to dig a little deeper. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You've heard the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor mom and dad. <laughs> Fantastic, Jesus. I was worried you are going to tell me something else because all these I have done. He didn't know where his malady was. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. What that basically means is that this young man did not know that he had the malady of the tenth commandment in his life. He was living a life that wanted everything everyone had, so he worked very hard to obtain it. He had great amounts of it, and he could not from it. Notice what Jesus says. He gives him the prescription. You want to follow me like a child? Go get rid of everything you have for no other reason than I'm telling you who need to. Get rid of it all. Then you can follow me. We're the rich young ruler and Jesus loves us enough to tell us what's wrong with us, but you know what we do? We say we are following him and we just go to another church. And if they step on our pet issues, we'll go to another one. And if they step on our pet issues, we'll go to another one. I hope some of you are fortunate enough to have been in the same church 10 years and it be a healthy relationship. I hope some of you from this point forward will be healthy enough to be in a church 10 years and it be a good relationship. When somebody's been in a different church every two years for the last 20 years, it says more about the person than it does the church. But that is normal American Christianity. You know where else it's that way? The workforce. It used to be that somebody started a company out of high school, out of college, and then retired there. The average length of employment in the United States is under 18 months. Economists call it a mercenary workforce. People actually believe that the way to get ahead is to change jobs. And they might be right. The problem is that same capitalist attitude made it into the church. They already know, why do you leave one job to go to another one? They already know all my problems. I can't get promoted here. They've got their own system, their own way of doing it. Those people up there are corrupt, but at a new place, 
it'll all be different. Why will it be different? You don't say it, but it's because they don't know you and you don't know them. When you get to know them, you'll want another new place. And church is very much the same way. I have a New Year's resolution for us in 2012. It's to invite open love. It's to long for it. It's to look for it. Did I skip a scripture along those lines earlier? Read it. there's a nation of Israel? What, three of you are not happy? You better get those hands up. How many of you are happy there's a nation of Israel? You don't want me to denounce you as an anti-Semite. You know what Israel's major benefit has been in your life? They've let you learn from their mistakes. They've been openly rebuked. That's an act of love, friends. God loved them enough to correct them, and He loved you enough to let you in on the conversation. Come on now. First Timothy is speaking of church leaders, and Israel is the leader among leaders. Their name means prince with God. You want to be somebody great? Let your sin be exposed in a public fashion so others may learn from it. How many people do you think are following that model of leadership? Is it any wonder we get in the shape that we're in then? We have an agreement. You don't look close at me, I won't look close at you. We'll all get together and have a hallelujah club. But you know what's not happening? The sick are not getting healed. The dead's not getting raised. It's become a fishing for funds operation. Parlor tricks at the altar. Smoke and mirrors. Light shows for worship. Entertainment instead of anointing. That's how we get where we're at. You know what the solution is? To believe him and do what he said. He said, go sell these things. Then you can follow me. You know what he couldn't do? Follow Jesus without being obedient. Not everybody has the same malady, but Jesus laid his finger on this man's malady. And he loved him enough to tell him how to fix it. If all I ever do is tell Dustin that he's wrong. Dustin, that was wrong. Stop it. Dustin, that was wrong. Stop it. We've had some of those, haven't we, Dustin? Dustin, that's wrong. Stop it. Dustin, that's wrong. Stop it. At some point, I've exasperated Dustin. He doesn't think he knows how to do anything except what's wrong because all I've ever told him is what is wrong. The good shepherd, the loving one, says, Dustin, that is wrong. Here's how you can do it. It would be right. Come here. I'll help you. Step with you. I'll go with you to sell that. I'll go with you to fix that. I will go with you to move. I will do this with you. You have what it takes because some of what God put in me is in you. This is what Christianity is about, friends. It is not a club that says, do not look deeply at me. I will not look deeply at you. We'll go have dinner every once in a while and it's all fun. You go to hell like that. It is a blind leading the blind into a ditch. One of the reasons that I love the missions that we do is obviously it's, it's good work for Jesus, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it's fun. It's, I mean, you can obviously wake up in the morning, work for Jesus all day, go to bed at night tired, and you know that you did what you were supposed to do that day. The other thing that I love about it, though, is it's like a test. You can see who rises to the occasion, who hides in the shadows, who has what it takes in the moment, who still needs to gather what they need to give out. 
for a pastor, it's a chance to look at your congregation and go, this one's right on track, this one's just a little bit behind, that one's ahead of where I thought he was. Praise God, we're making progress. That's what it's supposed to be. Of course, every day we should be able to see those very same things, shouldn't we? It just so happens that on a mission trip, we're spending all day together, every day. What would happen if we never spent a day together? What would happen if the sum total of our relationship is, I speak, you listen? It's not really a church, is it? This is not a commentary on all the church. I'm mostly concerned with this church. Some of you love us very much. I've been here tonight. I think all of you love us very much. If we love you enough to look over four things that you're doing right to get to the one thing that you don't know is buried in your life and you're not doing right, could we agree to see that as an action of love? Yeah. Because that's what the scripture teaches us. It was a prerequisite for following Jesus. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to name five commandments of the five. You've got four of them right. Dude, that's at least a solid B. I'm happy with that. He didn't do it. He didn't say, you know what, I'll grade it on a curve because the other people that didn't run up to me, they're not getting one of five right. He didn't do that. He went to the only thing in the man's life that he named that the man was not doing right. He said, you want eternal life? You have to do this, then you can follow me. The kingdom is an all or nothing kingdom. Turn with me to Psalm 15. There is no coast anywhere in it. There. Y'all getting anything out of this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All of you already knew this about the commandments, right? I know that you were reading and you picked up on it right away. I'd like to tell you that I picked up on it from a teacher that's very much fallen out of favor these days. The country way to say it would be a blind, a blind hog finds an acorn every now and then. I'd like to tell you it's possible to be wrong about one major issue and right about nine others. We need to be very careful about categorizing people over our pet issues. There's some teachers that I like very much that we do not share the same doctrine, not even close. In fact, there are some things in their lives that I think are so bad that they're going to have some conversation with Jesus about it. That doesn't mean there's not a lot and a lot and a lot of good things in their life that you can learn from. I'm not holding our ministry or my life up as one that is perfect. I'm expecting you to look at me the same way that I look at these teachers. You know, Eric may be way off the wagon here, but there are still things in his life I can learn from. Matthew may be way off the wagon here, but there are still things in his life I can learn from. Stephen may be way off the wagon over here, but I can learn to drive a Hertz rental car from him. <laughs> if you look for perfection in your leaders, you're going to go from place to place to place. Instead, you know what you should look for in your leaders? Loving confrontation. That's what you should look for in your leaders. Somebody who loves you enough to challenge you. 
You want to know the fastest way to become a good friend of this pastor? Love me enough to challenge me. Uh, I challenge you to find anyone in this church that has done that and not been received well. I admire it. I see it as a sign of loyalty. I'm not talking about being ugly and fault-finding. I'm talking about having the guts to say what nobody else will say because you love me. That's how you build relationships. And if you're waiting for one where there's never anything difficult, you live in a fairy tale world that is going to crash. If you can find people like that, they're just as disingenuous as you're being with them by telling them only nice things. You need to learn to value dissent, friends. That's how we find out where God's will is. Are you in Psalm 15? Yes. Here comes Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Isn't that an important question? It's kind of like saying, how do we get eternal life? Who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Friends, you want to go far in the kingdom? Learn to keep your oath to the living God to be obedient to Him, whether rich or poor, fat or thin, sick or healthy, well-fed or starving. When it hurts, do it anyway. We are the land of excuses and transferal of the blame. I was going to do it, but see, this happened, and that happened, and this happened, and that, and, and you know what? It was really this. She didn't show up when she should have. And then you go ask her, she says, it was really that she didn't put gas in the car. Well, it was really that he didn't give me the keys. Well, it was really that she put them somewhere I wasn't looking for them. Well, it was really that, and it just goes on and on and on. The fastest way to get anywhere with the Lord is say, you obviously know what's wrong with me and I didn't. I'm sorry, I will fix it right I, I even wonder about the garden. How much different story would that have been if when God came to Adam, Adam said, you put me in charge and I failed. I really need you to lead me. I'm not capable to do this by myself. I'm sorry. It's not her fault. She got it wrong, but it's because I didn't lead her right. And if when God went to her, she said, you know, the snake lied, but I chose to believe the lie. I'm so, I will never do this again. Help me. Empower me and I will follow you. But this is not what he blamed her, she blamed the snake. The snake went, The guy who talked me into this can't be seen. He's not around. <laughs> kind of became the patsy, huh? the fall guy. We can get everywhere with God just by owning up to where we are. All of our preaching, all of our teaching is trying to get you to look into the mirror of God's Word and find out where you really are. A man walked into our church one time, had been here two weeks, and says, how do I become an elder? That's not a joke. How do I become an elder? I said, you're going to have a hard time with that one. He said, why? I was an elder in my last church. I said, well, we don't vote them in here. 
requires a righteous lifestyle, demonstrated over a long period of time. And what I'm really looking for is somebody who does what's right, even when it hurts. I can do that. We'll see. We're all looking to aspire to something, and what we need to do is aspire to do what God tells us, even when it hurts. We've got two scriptures for you. Turn with me to Exodus 33. feel as if y'all have this message at this point. So we're not going to belabor it. We're not going to go through it over and over and over. It's a Wednesday night. It's late. If you didn't take away anything else yet, my hope is that you understand obedience is never optional. We receive the kingdom by acting on God's word like a father to a child. He knows our perfect prescription to cure our remedy, to cure our malady. That means he may require one's life to be on the line because that's what they treasure most. He may require another's finances to be on the line. He may require another's health to be on the line. He may require another's children to be on the line. He may require another's business to be on the line. There is no... Hey, he may require you to trust somebody else. Maybe it's your control that is on the line. But he knows how to put you into a position where you are receiving the kingdom like a child. You're just doing it because he said so, and you've given up the right to question God. Come on, wouldn't this be a beautiful thing if we had given up the right to question God? Only among those that went, okay? I don't want to hurt anybody here. Only among those that went on this last missions trip, and many of you have been on many trips. Is there anybody that had can admit to having moments of indecision where you weren't sure if you should go. Look at that. Look at that. That's normal. That is normal Christianity. But you what? You win. This is the, what you would expect for this man and, and Mark to have done. It's really struggle with it. Oh God, Lord, that's like carving out my heart. But to do it. Instead, his face fell. He walked away sad. He had been happy before. The disciples jumped up and down and they got kind of excited. Now first they were scared, so who can be saved? Jesus said everything is possible for him who believes. You know, with man this is impossible. With God all things are possible. Then it's kind of like a light bulb went on. Peter was the first to say it as usual. He says, we left everything to follow you. Like, we're doing good. That wasn't their prescription though, was it? <laughs> Peter, the greatest test might come. Can you watch the man you thought was going to rescue you die? No, Lord, never. We found his prescription, didn't we? For Thomas, it might be something different. For John, it might be something. Can you endure while all your friends die? Everybody's got a different prescription, but God will find it all. Are you in Exodus 33? Yes. Verse 15. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? The distinguishing factor is his presence. This is what makes us 
different than every other person on the planet. We look for security in our things. We look for security in consensus. We look for security in so many things. But all we ever need is to know His presence is with us. How many of you say, be led by the peace? Raise your hand if you have ever said that. I just, I'm led by the peace of God, you know? Really? There's only three people in this church that have ever said that? Really? That's interesting. I grew up hearing that all the time, you know? Just be led by the peace. One of the real problems with being led by the peace is what we call peace is usually comfort. I found it as a terrible way to be led. Terrible. In fact, where I know that I have hit the mark and I'm where the Lord wants me, most of the time is when I am the most uncomfortable. I would rather take five people to Mexico, take five people to Central America, five people to uh, India, five people, I don't care, to a gang fight. Then take 33 people anywhere. It makes me uncomfortable. It's a lot to keep track of. With five people, I can know. I know. I can get my hands on two of them, right? I mean, I can know. I'm one of them. So that only leaves two to sacrifice, right? But I know that we're in the will of God, not because you're comfortable doing it, but because you feel the divine enablement doing it. You understand? What this man would have found was not a peace in doing it. What he would have found was that God divinely enabled him to do. This is what we should be looking for. Turn with me to Exodus 14. We will close with this. I know, it's after 9. Are y'all upset? This is as short as I'm capable of doing this. We'll truncate this for you. How about this? Here comes the second verse. See, we skipped one. Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Phi Hathroi, between Migdol and the sea. All right. Look at my magic art here, right? Here's one. Here's the other. Here's the sea. Yeah, the sea's red. How about that? The Red Sea. You know what's wrong with this? You camp between these two places and the sea. It's like saying, I want you to go camp in a place. You are utterly trapped. Actually, if we were going to do this more accurately, look down here. Here's the two places, and here's the sea. So the people have to go in like this. What it does is it cuts off all exit. It cuts off all escape. If you've ever viewed this area from the sky, look at it on Google Earth or something like that, you travel out into a peninsula in which you're surrounded by water. Not a great place to make a defense, huh? Eight times does God put you in a position that is indefensible. Like going to sell everything you have. Why? Because he said so. I didn't hear him say so. It's okay, I did. How many times does it require you to risk looking irresponsible to everybody else to show that you're being obedient to him? But does your three-year-old wonder whether or not he's being responsible, being a good steward? Does he wonder whether or not 
what he's doing borders on irrational. He just worries about whether or not you told him to do it and what will happen to him if he doesn't. If you can't receive the kingdom like a child, you're not in the kingdom no matter what you think. Look what God did in verse 19. By the way, Pharaoh saw this. Said, they're, uh, they're trapped. Let's go get them. <coughs> verse 19. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front of them and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other so that neither went near each other like Lionel Richie all night long. The presence of God moved from leading them into an indefensible situation back to the rear of the group to protecting them in a perfectly secure situation. Come on, I want you to think about this. This is the end of our message. Let's get us a, uh, a peninsula here, right? I know that looks terrible, but that's our peninsula. And right here, we got all the people. These are people. An army is attacking. The army is attacking from this way. Indefensible. Soon as God's presence comes in here, though, and puts a blockade here, what other area could they be attacked from? None. What was indefensible becomes the most secure place on the planet because the Lord is there. What I'm trying to tell you is that this man in the Gospel of Mark who was rich, Jesus loved him. He was taking him to a position that seemed absolutely indefensible, but in it, it would have been the greatest security the man would have ever known. How does that relate to your life? Where is the Lord trying to take you that risks so much you think it's indefensible? But in reality, it's the securest place you can be. Stand your feet, let's pray.